Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is Sean Campy, and this is the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, coming to you at a very, very early hour today. Yes, today's broadcast of the John Campy Show is going a few hours earlier than normal. That is because we have our John Campia Show fan screening of The Batman today. And in order for us to make it to that in time, we had to do today's show pretty early. We announced this on yesterday's show. So, hey, kudos to you guys who are here and joining us live for this show because I almost didn't. Uh, it's, a, it's a little rough being up this early. But you know who's always up early? Out, getting in his miles, doing the road work. Yep. His eyes are awake, and he's taking in the meaning of the universe before the sun even rises. Ray Orr is here. Ray, how you doing? You got me all wrong. No. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's very early. Yes. Let's, uh, let's get this started. Yeah, now you may think, hey, you know, it's not that early. Well, you got to start many hours earlier in the morning to get the show today ready. But we're ready to go, and we do have a bunch of things that we're going to talk about here today. By the way, guys, if you're watching this live, and only if you're watching live, you can fire in a super chat using the YouTube uh, a chat feature there, and we will read off your comments and questions, whatever, once we get to the end of the main topics. We are going to try to keep today's show a little bit shorter than normal. Like I said, we've got to get to a Batman screening. Batman! Batman! And we're going to be joining a bunch of you guys who are coming out to join us for that as well, and we're looking forward to it. Okay, guys, without wasting any time, let's get right into a couple of off-the-tops here, shall we? And the first off-the-top that we're going to talk about is this. Like I mentioned, today we are going to our own special Batman screening. There were early uh, fan screenings of it with IMAX back on Tuesday. That's when we saw it. But the official opening night, for the Batman was last night. That's when it hit theaters across the country, and apparently it did great. So great that they're saying the only thing that's going to be better than it in uh, as far as the pandemic era sort of stuff is Spider-Man No Way Home. They're saying this thing did $21.6 million in previews. That is a huge number. Now, remember, we've been saying this whole time that there's no way the Batman is going to do Spider-Man No Way Home numbers. There's just too many things working against it. Like going down the laundry list is, first of all, this looks like a much grittier, more adult kind of film. It would probably deter some parents from bringing their kids to come see it. Number two, the Batman is in a weird place right now as far as reputation goes. You know, a lot of people haven't liked recent iterations of Batman. There's also a little bit of confusion regarding Batman because we've got Ben Affleck's Batman coming in The Flash. we got Michael Keaton's Batman coming in Batgirl and The Flash. And we've got this Robert Pattinson Batman. And also the fourth thing working against it is a lot of people who haven't seen the brilliant body of work that Robert Pattinson has done in the last decade still just think of him as the guy from Twilight. And that's a detriment to, to the movie as far as they're perceiving it. But those of us who have seen Robert Pattinson's work know that it was a really good choice. But so it's got a lot of things working against it. And so we knew it wouldn't be as big as Spider-Man No Way Home. Probably not even close. But these numbers are big. This comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter who writes the following. The Batman took flight at the domestic box office with $21.6 million in previews for Warner Brothers in D.C., that includes Thursday night shows and limited uh, Tuesday and Wednesday IMAX sneaks. The 200 million event pick starring Robert Pattinson as the Cape Crusader is widely expected to zoom to zoom past $100 million by Sunday and score the second best opening of the pandemic era behind Spider-Man No Way Home. The Matt Reeves directed film centers on Bruce Wayne's earlier days of fighting crime and is a rogues gallery of Batman's characters. Paul Dano plays the Riddler, a serial killer pursued by Batman while Zoe Kravitz plays Catwoman and Colin Farrell appears as the Penguin. So 
they're saying this thing is going to be huge, big opening weekend. Now, there were some numbers and projections coming out that were as low as like 80 million for opening weekend. There were some projections out there as high as 150 million. I was leaning more towards the 150 million. I don't think maybe it's, I think probably I was wrong about that. I don't think it's going to quite get that high at this point, but still it's good to see that people recognize a good movie when they see it and they're getting out there to see the Batman. And a lot of us are going to see today. And again, guys, by the way, just so you know, we are going to be doing our open spoiler discussion of the Batman on Sunday afternoon. So that gives you guys plenty of chances to go out and see the Batman. We will do our full open spoiler discussion about it Sunday afternoon, talking about it and all the spoiler goodness. But just to kind of recap what we've been talking about the last couple of days regarding this movie. This movie's fantastic. To me, it is not a perfect movie, but it is a perfect Batman movie. I don't think any movie's ever captured the DNA of the Batman better than this movie has. The performances are outstanding. Robert Pattinson owns this role. Oh my God, Paul Dano as the Riddler is incredible. Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon is incredible. And oh my God, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. I was I said this yesterday, but I'll say it again. I was interested in this Penguin HBO spinoff series they're doing with Colin Farrell. Yeah, now I'm losing my mind for it. Now I cannot wait. Now this thing is like right up there amongst my most anticipated television things ever. You'll see what I mean once you get a chance to see Colin Farrell in there doing his thing. So, hey, Ray, you know, you and I, as soon as we're done here, we're going to head off, go watch this movie again. You got you got all the way through a three-hour movie and you didn't fall asleep. I couldn't believe it. I was amazed. Well. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, no, I'm just time? kidding. I'm kidding. You know what? Um, I actually had a question for you. Yeah. If, if Colin Farrell, he he really does play the Penguin really well. Crazy. Um, so this spinoff, without Batman, is there Batman? Well, have we heard if there's going to be Batman? Because I don't know how, you know, I don't know. I don't know how well a spinoff would do without the Batman character at least involved. Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. So let's look back at Gotham the TV show on Fox Gotham that while it did have a young baby Bruce Wayne, it didn't have Batman. All right. I mean, later in the series, baby Bruce Wayne started putting on a mask. That's when the show got utterly fucking ridiculous as far as I was concerned, but they did give it a go for a bit with that. I, I think the way they set this up, if you are just trying to make a gritty underworld crime drama, I think this can work. And I'm not completely convinced that they couldn't have like Batman, Robert Pattinson pop up like once a season. I wouldn't be surprised, but knowing what we know as far as where, how this movie ends to see the, the penguin now move forward after where this movie ends, I think it'd be really interesting. Is it, is, is it move forward? Or I, I thought it was a before. You thought it was a prequel? Yeah. I thought it was moving forward. I think it's taking place after the events of the Batman. But now, I could be wrong about that. You might be right. Yeah, because that's interesting how Gotham took care of the Batman problem by doing a younger Bruce Wayne. Yes. That's how they got away with it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Because one thing would be the most annoying is referencing Batman during the show and him never appearing. You know, that would be the biggest... Yeah, well, I, I mean, know. I don't know how you do a show that's set in Gotham with criminal, you know, overlords 
and not at least mention Batman. I mean, because that's their biggest threat, right? So you, I think you got to mention him. But I think if the audience goes in with the understanding that this isn't a Batman show, this takes place there, then it carries all the potential with it that Gotham had. Although it also has the potential to go south like Gotham did. So, I don't know. We'll have to see. Question is for you guys. What do you think about these opening night numbers for the Batman? This is very encouraging. Obviously, we all knew it was never going to catch Spider-Man No Way Home. It's a completely different kind of movie. But how do you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. Let's stick on the Batman for a second. You know, the Batman has been the rave of everything going on. And even though Ben Affleck, the guy I really wanted to write and direct and star in a Batman movie, even though Ben Affleck's not doing it, Matt Reeves, awesome choice to do it. We've been very excited to see what he's been doing. And listen, Matt Reeves did an amazing job directing the Batman. But we now live in a world where a director can direct a DC movie and a Marvel movie. Just look no further than our very own James Gunn. James Gunn, who became one of the big hotshot superstars in the MCU, directing the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and he was kind of being—he uh, was in the process of kind of being put in charge by Kevin Feige of like the space level of MCU and really giving guidance and oversight to that. Then the whole drama happened. He left Disney. He's come back to do Guardians three, but now he's doing. Suicide Squad, and he did the amazing Peacemaker, which I think is the best thing DC's ever put on television. So we've got James Gunn. So the question can come up, Ray, why not Matt Reeves? Could Matt Reeves, who just did such a brilliant job with the Batman, could we dare to hope that maybe he would also do an MCU film? Well, if you're one of those people like me who's kind of keeping your fingers crossed that maybe this is a great filmmaker who could play in both worlds. Yeah, don't get your hopes up. Apparently, it's not going to happen. Matt Reeves says he's never going to direct a Marvel Cinematic Universe film, and he goes on to kind of explain why. This comes to us from the folks over at Joe Blow. When Matt Reeves was asked, you know, hey, do you think you could do a Marvel movie? Uh, he basically said this. He said, I have such respect for Kevin Feige and also for the Marvel filmmakers. But to be honest with you, I just don't know how I would make my way through that. There has to be some level of discovery for me where I have some freedom to find my way. If I have to come into something that's already set too firmly, then I think I would get lost. And I don't think that they would be happy with me either. Let me read that again. I have such respect for Kevin Feige and also for the filmmakers of Marvel, but to be honest with you, I just don't know how I would make my way through that. There has to be some level of discovery for me where I have some freedom to find my way. If I have to come into something that's already set too firmly, then I think I would get lost, and I don't think that they would be very happy with me either. And once again, that comes to us from Matt Reeves talking about whether or not he would direct an MCU movie. And I'll tell you what, while it's disappointing for me to hear Matt Reeves say, I, I won't be doing a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, I think he articulated himself very well. I think he gave a very, very good reason because of the type of director that he is, the types of movies he, he likes to make. He likes to create worlds. And it is difficult for you to create a world when you are in a cinematic universe that is coming up on 30 movies in it already plus how many shows have they done already 
WandaVision, Loki, Falcon and Winter Soldier. What was the most recent one? Uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. We got Moon Knight coming out. So on top of like almost 30 films, they've got five shows, 35 more coming, all this kind of stuff. There is a very set world already created and is insanely successful. I mean, ridiculously successful, both in terms of critic responses, audience responses, and box office responses. It's winning across the board. But the price tag of having that kind of victory is that when filmmakers come in, they will probably be facing more limitations, you know, open creatively than they would in other films. Listen, Ray, I've said for a long time, people whine and complain that studios shouldn't interfere. Totally forgetting that the movies belong to the studios. But studios shouldn't interfere. But at the same time, they love Kevin Feige and they love the MCU. And I've tried to remind people a lot over the years. Guys, if there is no studio that has more interference than Marvel. Marvel is absolutely the number one most interfering studio. Because Kevin Feige layeth down the law. They lay down the road. Yeah. They give you the car. But you can't go off the road. Yes. So I said exactly. So, but first of all, I want to go back to his quote. See, take note of this, Mister Scorsese, Mister <laughs> Francis, Cop, Cop, Cop Coppola, Coppola. That's how you say you 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 don't um, you know you wouldn't uh, do a Marvel film. That's how that's how you do it respectfully. Yes. I mean, I mean that's 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 Matt Reeves just got more respect for me. Uh, you know the two. The two films I'm familiar with is the Planet of the Apes and the Batman. Right. I don't. I don't know any other movies. You never that watched Let Me In no, or Cloverfield no. or Oh Cloverfield. I did. Oh yeah, he that did was that. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just think he wouldn't fit with the the Marvel style. I just he could he could do it, but I don't know if I want to see him direct a movie in that in those terms in the Marvel way. I, yeah. I just I think he's. Uh, his the his style is way different than what they have. I agree. So completely, and and you're so right about the whole thing about how, and we've said this before. Like when it, there's nothing wrong with a director or an actor or whatever not liking comic book movies. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not for everybody, but you're right. You do it the way. I mean, Matt Reeves clearly likes comic book movies. He's just done a big one. But I mean, if there's something you don't want to do or something that's not really you. You do it just like Matt Reeves just did. Hey, you know what? I love Kevin Feige. I love what he's doing. All the respect in the world for those filmmakers. But doing an MCU movie for me doesn't work because of A, B, and C. That's how you do it. A question for you, John. Yes. If you were a director, yeah. would mm. you? Would you? Because I, th I think this is the dilemma with why directors sometimes don't go with Marvel movies. I, I, I think all directors want to put their their spin on things and their yeah. vision. Would you do a Marvel movie? If you, if you for, for your first film, would you go within the Marvel Ooh. movie, make all that money <laughs> and get that or, notoriety? Or, yeah. Or would you want to take on some sort of comic book property and just have your way with it? You know what? It's a great question. Here's, here's my thoughts on it. I think it would be dependent on Let's make up a let's say Bishop. Let's say we're they're going to do a Marvel Perfect. film for Bishop, the one I've wanted forever. I think it would depend on meeting with Kevin Feige and finding out how much our individual visions for it aligned with each other already, you know? Cuz if 
the things I have in mind for Bishop, if I go in and meet with Kevin Feige and Kevin Feige lays out his vision for Bishop and it's not terribly far off from mine and he says, okay, here's your parameters, Campia. Uh, you can't do this and you can't do this. This has to happen in the movie and this has to happen in the movie. Otherwise, go ahead and do whatever. Just stay within these boundaries. And if his boundaries are already kind of aligned with what I'm thinking, then yeah. I remember Peyton Reed when he was talking about doing the Ant-Man and him talking about how when him and Kevin Feige first started discussing it, there was a lot of, you know, uh, symmetry between them already. And I think that's probably a big thing. That's what Kevin Feige is looking for. When Kevin Feige goes out and looks for directors, he's looking for directors who already can get his vision and understand it. Because, you know, unfortunately, the reality is the MCU is a living, breathing organism now. And you can't just have individual directors coming in and saying, I want to do whatever I want to do in this movie and say if I'm doing Bishop, I want my Bishop movie, the entire West Coast. I want Arshem to come down and punch the West Coast and the West Coast falls in the ocean. <laughs> okay, that's great, but that does not fit in with what, hey, we've already got five other MCU projects coming out that involve the West Coast. Like, you can't do that. And that is the challenge. But I think for me, it would all come down to do our visions already align? And I'm thinking that's probably what Kevin Feige asked them to start off with, too. What what would you see Matt Reeves doing? What movie? What oh. property in Marvel? Punisher? Oh, God. After You know what? After seeing a Batman, I could totally see him doing a Punisher. I think that's a great call. I think I think that one... I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole Matt Reeves after yeah, seeing right. Batman, saying he can only do this kind of movie. But yeah, after watching right, uh, Let, uh, Let Me In and uh, stuff like that, a Punisher would be great for him. But I get it. It's not really for him. <laughs> Question is for you guys. What do you think about Matt Reeves saying that you won't be seeing him doing a Marvel film? And I think that's perfectly fine. I think it's great the way Marvel does their movies and Kevin Feige's having all the success in the world. I think it's great if a filmmaker like Matt Reeves says, you know what? That doesn't quite fit where I'm at as a creator and doesn't want to do it. I think it's perfectly good. And I think, like Ray said, that's exactly how you handle saying you don't want to do a certain kind of movie. Anyway, guys, what do you think of Matt Reeves' comments? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the show? Well, it's really simple. You guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're gonna see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Raymond Reddington, who writes, Did you read in The Hollywood Reporter that Disney Plus is adding a lower-cost ad-supported tier to its streaming service? Do you think this is a smart decision and will add more subscribers or drive people away? I personally think it lowers the prestige of the Disney brand. What do you guys think? All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, look, Disney Plus came out with a lot of fanfare. Everybody was excited about it. It was launching with Mandalorian and all that kind of stuff. And it came out pretty cheap. Like, I can't remember what it started off. It did start off like $6.99 or something. And they've raised prices on it a couple of times already. So I'm not even quite sure what it is they charge. I wouldn't for know, John. I use yours all the time. I know you use mine, but I mean, I, I can't. I don't even know what it is I'm paying for it anymore. 
But mm-hmm. they also own Hulu. Disney owns Hulu. And Disney has a tier of Hulu where you can watch Hulu, but with ads in it, with commercials running in it. Sometimes a lot, sometimes not so many. But Disney Plus was never going to do that. I remember early interviews with the folks over at Disney regarding Disney Plus when they were first announcing the price structure of it. And questions were asked about, do you, hey, do you think the, a commercial version, an ad-supported version could ever be there? And they said that's not their model. That's not their paradigm. Well, it's funny how things can change when your growth rates slow down. And as a result of your growth rate slowing down, your stock drops, suddenly other options become more viable. As Mike Tyson always said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And now it has officially been announced. I got the email this morning from Disney that Disney is going to be launching an ad-supported tier where you can pay less, you're still going to pay, but you can pay less, it's just that you'll get commercials during the stuff you're watching on Disney+. Plus. This comes from the folks over at Variety who write the following. In a first for Disney's flagship direct-to-consumer streaming service, Disney Plus will launch an ad-supported subscription plan later this year. The ad-supported Disney Plus plan will be introduced beginning in the U.S. in late 2022, with the plans to expand internationally in 2023, the media conglomerate announced on Friday. No pricing or specific launch date was announced. The AVOD version of Disney Plus will be offered at a price. By the way, AVOD means ads-supported video on demand. That's what that stands for. Anyway, a version of Disney Plus will be offered at a price less than the regular ad-free version, which in the U.S. costs $7.99 per month. I guess that's where they're at now. Disney said the ad-supported version, this is key. Listen to this part here. Disney said the ad-supported version of Disney Plus is a building block for the company's target of reaching 230 million to 260 million Disney Plus subscribers worldwide by the end of its 2024 fiscal year. That's important. We'll talk about why in a second. At the end of 2021, Disney Plus had 129.8 million paying, paying, paying customers worldwide, gaining 11.8 million in the quarter ended January 1st, 2022. Okay. In general, I don't mind the idea of an ad-supported tier on these streaming services because, number one, I don't have to use it. I mean, nobody, like, this would be different if these streaming services were saying, okay, you're paying us $15 a month for our service. Great. You're going to keep paying us $15 and we're going to start paying commercials. That's different. That I think I and a lot of people would be very upset about. But the idea of creating a separate level that would have commercials that people can choose to use or not use and it offers consumers a cheaper price point, I honestly don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's, I mean, that's fine because I don't have to use it. So they're not forcing it on me. So if somebody doesn't want to pay eight bucks a month or what will soon be 10 bucks a month for Disney Plus and they want to spend $3.99 a month on it, but they have to watch the commercials, if they choose to do that, that's fine. I certainly don't think it's going to scare anybody away because I still have my regular tier of Disney Plus. You are probably still going to have your regular tier of Disney Plus. Ray will still use my regular <laughs> tier of Disney Plus. I mean, so it, it's all good. There's nothing wrong with it, okay? I, I And I'm actually all for it. If it helps them, whatever. But make no mistake 
about why Disney is doing this. Disney is not doing this to offer a wider set of options for the consumer. That's not why they're doing this. Disney Plus is not doing this to offer a lower price to its valued consumer base. That's not why they're doing this. It's right here why they're doing this. They're doing this because their growth slowed down, and when their growth slowed down, two things happened. Their stock took a hit, and they realized they were never going to hit their target number. They were never going to hit 230, 260 million by the end of 2024. It just wasn't going to happen. The tea leaves were there. The writing was on the wall. Right? You could see it coming from a mile away. <laughs> this ain't going to happen. We ain't going to make it. Right. So what are we going to do? Should we create more premium level shows? Nah. Should we have more than just one high profile Star Wars or Marvel show running at a time? Nah. You know what we should do? Let's do what we said we wouldn't do. And let's create an ad supported level that's cheaper to artificially boost up our subscriber numbers and say that these people are subscribers just like anybody else subscribes. And again, I I know I'm sounding negative Nelly on this. I understand that. I have no problem with this move in principle. I have no problem with offering, giving consumers another choice. That's fine. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying, let's be honest here about why they're doing it. And it seems like... To, all credit to Disney, it looks like they are being honest. They're the ones who said that this is going to be one of our building blocks to get to our subscriber numbers. So even Disney's being honest about it. And you know what? Again, at the end of the day, I'm perfectly good with it. They do it with Hulu, and I think it's good for Hulu, and it works for Hulu. Peacock has been using this model, and it's been working for Peacock. I actually, I ended up subscribing to the top level of Peacock. I really like Peacock a lot, and I got started on it using the ad-free thing and i eventually moved up on it because i really like the service so again no problem with it but let's be honest why is there ray let me ask you now that you know that there's going to be an even cheaper option but it means you know watching mandalorian and then every 10 minutes the show stopping to play some commercials are you tempted to get that level of it or are you just not going to bother with no, it? no no have you, I, I think before you got into the premium Hulu, you guys had the free version. I remember in Burbank um, yep, and I, I would watch it version, yeah. and the Hulu ads were the longest. Someone pointed out in the chat. I totally agree. It actually, they were so long. Sometimes I would be into a, a show or whatever I'm watching that it got me a little out of it. Like I for sometimes I would forget what just happened. They were so long. So if like, and Disney does hulu right they're yep. like uh that that's theirs that's kind yeah of their so second wing. i mean if they're gonna be that long no i it, it has to be the premium I, I don't even think that would interest me one bit i remember like at first when i started using hulu it was like one or two commercials per thing like there were less commercials on it than there would be on regular television but i mean i tried it recently because a buddy of mine was loading it up and it puts up in the corner uh, the countdown many, the countdown the countdown right and so like a commercial thing would start and it'd be like four minutes 30 seconds i'm like what <laughs> not only the countdown it'll say one of two or the, the, but then we would say like one of seven 
And, and that, I'd be like, what? No, no sorry. No, Th that stuff just gets me out of whatever I'm watching when they're that long. I'm, yeah, you know, and I already have a short attention span anyways. No. So, so I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I don't know. So look again, it's not something I would personally use myself, but if it gives somebody like if there are people say, look, I'm going to give myself a $30 a month entertainment budget that I can spend on my streaming. I'm already spending $15 on uh, frickin' uh, Netflix, and I'm already spending $15 on HBO Max, so I I'm tapped out. I can't do any more. Well, maybe if they offer, like, Disney at, like, $3.99 with some current... That might be a good option for some people. No problem with it if you want to. Question, you know what? Let's make this a poll right now. Let's do it. I'm going to make up a poll right now. Uh, let's see. The question will be, would you use a... An ad-supported uh, Disney Plus, uh, if it were cheaper. And I, for those of you watching live, I put that up in the live chat right now. You guys can go again, going in there, and I'll see if uh, we get any response to that. I'll keep my eyes on that and uh, let you guys know what kind of results start coming in. But the question is for you guys. What do you think? about this disney has officially announced that they are going to be launching an ad supported thing by the way we've got a little over 200 votes have come in already actually not as big as a difference as i thought 70 percent of you are saying no you would not use it but 30 percent of you are saying yes you would and I, I i think that's pretty telling anyway guys now a little over 400 votes question is for you guys do you like the idea of this? Let me ask you this too. Do you have a problem with somebody else having the option to it? Can you see some drawbacks to it for the service as a whole? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by uh, Aditya Srivastava, I hope I'm saying your name right, man. Forgive me if I'm not. The producer of the upcoming Halo series just recently confirmed that Steven Spielberg had a heavy influence on the show and that he godfathered it in terms of reading every script, helping choose showrunners, writers, cast, visual effects, etc. What are your thoughts on all of this? Does it get you even more excited about the Halo show, especially Ray? Especially Ray. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, this is very interesting because there we found a long time ago that Steven Spielberg was going to be a producer on the Halo show, right? Here's the problem with that, though. There is no more nebulous term in the world of movies <laughs> than the term producer mm -hmm. because producer can mean almost anything. <laughs> when you say someone's the director of a movie, you know exactly what they're doing in the movie. You know exactly what they're doing. When somebody has the producer title on them, it can mean anything. It can literally mean that they shepherd the entire project from start to finish. They are the overseers of all of it. They put the director in plate. They hire the director. They secure the rights to the script. They make sure the director has everything they need and that the project is moving in the direction it's supposed to go and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. However... A producer title can also be given to somebody if you set up a lunch meeting with somebody. There's literally been cases in Hollywood where a studio wanted somebody in a movie 
and they used another person to set up that meeting, and that person got a producer's credit. It can mean very little. And <laughs> Steven Spielberg has, I believe, I went onto his IMDb page earlier, and I did a count. It was uh, 3,827,000 producer credits. <laughs> At least that's what it looks like. And if you think Steven Spielberg was hands-on, directly involved with all those projects, you're smoking something. <laughs> There, there have been movies that Steven Spielberg has gotten producer credits on simply because he had one or two phone conversations with the studio about it, and he got a producer's credit. And why does that happen? Well, because studios want to say Steven Spielberg is a producer of this and give Spielberg another credit, and they cut him a check and all that kind of wonderful thing. So when the word came out that Steven Spielberg was going to be a producer or whatever on Halo or whatever. You gotta, you have to forgive me. That's what they just start calling it, <laughs> or producer whatever, or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> you gotta forgive me if my first reaction to that is skeptical, because you know I've seen there's so many of Steven Spielberg's producers credits where he did maybe a day of stuff or whatever. So I honestly. I didn't think he'd probably be all that involved in Halo at all. They just got him to put his name on it, right? Well, apparently that's not the case because you're right. They did interview one of the producers of the film. And what Frank said was this, Daryl Frank, who's one of the producers of the Halo show. He said this, we treated it uh, as though it was a legacy project of Stevens. He godfathered it in terms of reading every script, helping choose the showrunners. He chose the writers, director, cast, production design, visual effects. In other words, Steven Spielberg is a legit producer <laughs> on the Halo yes. series. Like he legitimately had his hands on in the trenches, getting his hands dirty of pulling this show together, choosing the people who would be the ones steering it, overseeing and, and, and reviewing scripts and all that kind of stuff. The greatest, Ray, think about this, the greatest filmmaker of all time, the GOAT, is hands-on, actually directly involved with making this thing. I will tell you right now, my interest in Halo just went up about 10 times. Yes, it, knowing that that Spielberg was shepherding this, and like Spielberg, just because he he did that doesn't automatically guarantee this show's going to be good. But I think the likelihood of it being good just got a lot better. And I went from being I'll watch this because Ray wants to watch it, so I will watch it with Ray, and I'll be excited to watch Ray get excited for it. But I'll tell you what, now that doesn't matter to me. You don't <laughs> matter to me now. Now I'm just legitimately myself excited to see this. I I think this sounds really cool, Ray. You, I mean. You have Halo. I don't have the camera angle set up, but you have Halo stuff all over your desk. You are a Halo guy. You've been excited for this show already. Does hearing this stuff about Spielberg make you even more excited? Game day, baby! <laughs> no, fine. You know what? Like, Steven Spielberg, if you look at the story of Halo, this is right up his alley. I meant the sci-fi-ness to it and all that. So um, I actually thought he should have been more hands-on involved with it, and I'm happy to hear the news um he also like you said uh how anyone could get a producer credits he do you think he had hands on on terminal <laughs> he directed terminal i thought he was just a producer on that i know i know he directed the terminal. oh wow which was which is the best 
movie off that list you think that he produced like that on imdb oh dude you, there's hon, there's li there's so many I've, i'd have to go through the list okay. i have no idea but yeah but th my favorite steven spielberg movie is amistad oh okay. that's my favorite steven spielberg. so he probably was a producer on that too i'm guessing okay i just want everyone to know this character of master chief i think it's going to be awesome like like i said before it's right up his alley i hope he had a lot of input in it it got greenlit for season two, which is always a good sign. I don't, well, I mean, I think it's a good sign. It is. So um, I just can't wait. I I believe it's March 24th, towards the end of the month. After this Batman um, thing, you know, starts to fade away, then we get into Halo, then we get into Rob's Moon Knight, which yesterday I figured out Moon Knight will be showing Wednesday nights and then Halo's Thursday nights. So we'll be back-to-back. Yeah. Back. We got back-to-back -back, uh, must-watch things. Sorry about it. We got back-to-back -back nights that we're going to be watching a lot of stuff. It's, it's going to be a good month. It's going to be a really good month. The question I have is if Paramount is going to drop it at midnight or is it going to be the next day? Because I we don't know their gonna, system. Yeah, no, you're right. We don't know the system. I for, Look, I, we're going to have to find out for sure. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess they will drop it at midnight because that seems to be working for HBO Max. It works for Disney+. Plus. I think they'll probably follow suit. The only um, thing I have to say about that is the South Park episodes that we watched. I remember one night I waited until midnight for it, that to drop. It didn't, it drop, didn't drop until drop the next midnight? day until eight o'clock. Well, it wasn't on the front page. Okay. For sure. That's we had to search for it. I think it was the next day because it wasn't, it wasn't on there. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully it drops at midnight so we could do back to back Moon Knight, Halo. All right. Interesting. Anyway, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Steven Spielberg, despite my doubts, is a <laughs> actually a legit producer on this Halo series. Were you already excited for it? Does this kind of increase your excitement? Were you not excited? If you weren't excited for it, does this get you a little bit interested? I know my interest has gone way up. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Daniel Hogan. Daniel Hogan writes, During an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, president of 20th Century Studios Steve Asbell said a new Planet of the Apes movie could start shooting by late summer, early fall. While I'm not against a new Planet of the Apes film, I'm not that enthusiastic given that they have a weak director. I'm not sure that they have a weak director uh, in West Ball at the helm. And I'm not certain how you move this franchise forward without Caesar. Where is your excitement level for another Apes movie? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And yeah, listen, they actually announced a while ago that they were going to do another Planet of the Apes movie. That, that actually, that news came out ages ago. We knew about that. And West Ball, who directed the Maze Runner movies, not a lot else, but he directed the Maze Runner movies, and we'll talk about that in a second, that he was going to be directing it and all that kind of stuff. But frankly, we haven't really heard anything since. And I was kind of skeptical a bit when they first talked about this. Are they really going to do another one? I'm not really sure that they are. But now news came out and said that they are indeed doing another one. This comes to us from the folks over at Joe Blue who write the following. It was announced that West Ball would be tackling the new Planet of the Apes back in 2019, but it's been a while since we've heard much about the project. While speaking with The Hollywood Reporter, 20th Century Studios president Steve Asbell dropped a brief update about the film saying, 
that they're expecting a draft very shortly and that they hope to go into production by the late summer slash early fall. It's not much, but I'll take it. Of course, there's no guarantee that the new Planet of the Apes movie will actually start shooting later this year, but it's good to know that the project is still in active development. I need my apes fix. Now, all right, you wrote in and, and asked, you know, hey, you know, should we be excited about this considering it's got a weak director? I don't believe that Wes Ball is a weak director. John, are you saying you love the Maze Runner movies? No. But if you look at the source material, and no no offense intended to, to, the, to fans of the source material, when you look at a lot of other young adult stuff that they try to bring to the big screen, I would propose to you that Wes Ball made those movies infinitely better than they had any business being. As a matter of fact, I actually quite like the first Maze Runner. I actually like all the Maze Runners. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they, I really quite do enjoy the first one. The, the second two didn't work quite as well for me. But when you look at what the source material is and where it comes from and the whole premise of it, it's like, okay, these movies should be garbage. <laughs> these, these movies should be absolute garbage, but they're not. And I think that says a lot about West Ball. Now, again, we really haven't seen much else of a sample size. So I know he's got a background in visual effects and stuff like that too. So we don't really have enough. So I would say that I don't think we should proclaim that this upcoming apes movie has a weak director. Cause I don't think that's the case. We need a bigger sample size, but for right now, I don't think that's the case. Can this series move, move on without Caesar? Absolutely. It can. If you tell the right story, you can. I mean, again, this reminds me of when the first Venom movie was coming out, and a lot of people proclaimed, you can't do Venom without Spider-Man. Yes, you can. It was a huge hit, and it was great. When they said they were going to do a Joker movie without Batman, a lot of people, you can't do a Joker movie without Batman. Turns out you can. Made a billion dollars, nominated for Best Picture of the Academy Awards. Now, there's a little bit of a difference in that they hadn't already been established with Spider-Man or Joker, granted. But you can move these stories forward and you can move forward without Caesar. Uh, now, I think it's really interesting when you go back a ways. This is going back a little while. But when West Ball was talking about what his vision for this thing would be, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. He said the following. Those last three movies are one of the great trilogies we have in modern movie history. They are just so well done. They honored the original movies uh, that, they're, uh, that they sprang from, the Charlton Heston movies but they grounded it in a modern sensibility and it just worked. Caesar is one of the great movie characters that we'll have throughout time. And I agree with him. I think Caesar is like one of the greatest movie characters ever. So what do you do to follow that up, right? At the same time, I wasn't interested in doing a part four either. We want, uh, we want to also do our own thing. Ball continued by saying that they have a way of staying in the universe that was already created in the previous three films, but we're also opening up ourselves uh, up in being able to do some really cool new stuff. And you know what? I'll tell you what. To me, this is the perfect approach. So he's saying this isn't going to be Planet of the Apes Part 4, but it is still going to be in the same universe. I have a feeling they're going to fast forward like maybe 100 years, like not thousands of years, but they're going to fast forward a bit to see how this ape culture. And by the way, despite the fact that the last eight movies had the total lie, the total fib, deception, Ray. Deception. Of a title called War for the Planet of the Apes when there was no war in that 
in that <laughs> movie at all. Every poster, every you know still image, everything promised, oh, we're going to see the big war, and it never happens. So <laughs> we still need to see this big war. We still need to see this war, and that could be something that they do, see the rise of new characters and all this kind of stuff. So I think there's something promising there. But yes, I was skeptical that this would happen, but it sounds like 20th Century Fox is making this a priority, and it sounds like they could go into production as early as this summer. And if so, kudos to them and good on them. Uh, you know, I would actually want this movie to take place a little bit later. Just I because, agree. Just only because, no, I meant as in like, do the movies later, like maybe oh. a couple of years from now. Only because this movie was like crazy, like the effects in it. I, I just so want to see like the, so the jump of effects from this one. And I, I I don't think we've gotten ahead that much from the from this, from the last apes that we but, saw. But here's the question about that. And I always bring this up when we talk about visual effects. There's no more jumping left to do. Like when you watch these Planet of the Apes, and they're a couple of years old now. Caesar, 100% looks real. Yeah, definitely. 100% looks real. Thanks also, and, and comes across as very real, thanks to the brilliant performance by Andy Serkis in it too. But it's like, what's the next jump? Yeah, true. You're right. Like, if it already looks completely real, I was about to make a joke, but again, okay. filter between brain and mouth, fully activated. But, like, how much... for? What's the next big, like, honestly, we've been saying for a while, the next big and the only remaining big leap forward in visual effects is the uncanny valley. The fact that they can't quite make human beings completely believable yet, but that's it. Yeah. Like we've got dinosaurs and spaceships and planets blowing up and lava explosions and, and, and apes. I, I mean, I don't know where they go next. It's, it, I'm sorry. It's just my bill. It's like, I have this extreme belief in humans that like we could just push things further mm -hmm. even though we never thought you know I, I i just believe humans are amazing like when <laughs> someone draws something on youtube like and just boss logic yeah it's like man i love i love this 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 kind this this species and listen <laughs> to your point i'm probably sure now i was too young i'm probably sure that when star wars came out I'm probably sure there were a lot of people saying, well, that's it. This is as good as visual effect. This is perfection in visual effects. It can't get any better than this. Well, fast forward four decades, and we know that that wasn't true. And maybe me saying now, what's left for there to do? Maybe in 20 years, that, that statement will sound <laughs> yeah, dumb when they're crazy. doing things that we never would have imagined. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about the fact that they're saying that they're going to actually be going into production, possibly, on a new Planet of the Apes movie like this summer? Are you interested in another Planet of the Apes movie? I got to admit, I'm, I'm pretty curious about it. Maybe you have no interest at all. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into our fourth and final main topic today, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Eric Thomas, who writes, Hey, John. The decision by the board of the Academy to give out eight Oscars before the live telecast and edit them into the show later on has sparked a lot of outrage in the Academy, and The Hollywood Reporter now has a new fascinating piece on it. What caught me by surprise the most is that one Academy member says that he got informed by the CEO of the Oscars that ABC warned the Academy that they would drop the telecast on their network altogether 
if 12 categories were not removed. What do you think about this? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, one of the big topics of conversation around the worlds of movie fandom lately has been the whole idea about, you know, the Oscars announced that they were going to take eight of the 28, 30, I can't remember how many categories. They were going to take eight of them and actually present them before the Oscar telecast happens, an hour before it happens. And then during the Oscar telecast, edit those in. So we were still going to see the nominees, we were still going to hear who wins, and we're still going to get the acceptance speech by the winners, right? To which some people have some faux outrage, and people like me, with common damn sense, are saying it's about damn time. <laughs> it's about damn time that they do this. And I remember talking to some people I know saying, this is outrageous. I'm like, dude, every time one of those categories came up in the Oscars that we've been watching the Oscars together, that's when you take your bathroom break. That's when you go out to the barbecue and, and grab yourself another burger. You never stick around and watch those. Don't you pretend like you're all outraged that hair and makeup isn't going to be done live. As a matter of fact, look, and, and Ava DuVernay, uh, great director Ava DuVernay, she addressed her right because I keep hearing people saying they're cutting out eight categories. No, they're not. They're not cutting out eight categories. They're not cutting them out at all. They're just going to present them before the show starts, but then they're still going to edit it into the show, cutting out the fat and the trim to try to tighten the show up, but we're still going to see the nominees, the winner, and we're still going to see hear from the person who won. Hear people say they've cut out the categories. No, they have not. They're excluding these categories. No, they're not. And director Ava, uh, director Ava DuVernay put it best when she said the following. She said this. Ava DuVernay, a governor of the uh, director's branch, responded respectfully, and I have no part in, the, in this decision, but the word excluded is a powerful one for many. It has a particular and heightened meaning to many. And as the music branch winners and nominees, get this, and as the music branch winners and nominees and speeches will be fully included in the broadcast, I think it's important to call things by their right name as to not minimize the meaning of the true exclusion of these spaces. So Ava DuVernay brings up a great point. Stop saying they're being excluded because they're not. They're there. They're just making some changes to try to tighten up the show and they're going to be there. Because let's face it, this is a show that needs to be tightened up. It needs to be tightened up. It has to happen. Now, where this gets really interesting, let me see if I can find this here. Where this gets really interesting, um, where, where are we at here, is the fact that it may not have just been, the, this wasn't the Oscars that wanted this. This apparently came from ABC, the network that broadcasts the Oscars. Now, this is in that Hollywood Reporter piece that is really interesting. It says this, another governor of a branch which has lost a category from the live telecast who wishes to remain nameless says that he was jarred when over the summer he received a call from Hudson, that's the president of the, of the Academy, explaining why significant changes to the format of the Oscars were necessary. This governor says that he was told that ABC had warned the Academy 
that it would cancel the Oscars telecast via a clause in the Academy and ABC's deal for the Oscars broadcasting rights if 12 categories, 12, not 8, if 12 categories were not removed from the show. We were told we'd have to sacrifice, <laughs> pardon me, we were told we'd have to sacrifice something or we were going to lose the whole show, the governor recaps. All right. So now we're finding out from The Hollywood Reporter that the company that broadcasts the Oscars, ABC, who pay a lot of money for the rights to broadcast the Oscars, when you're the biggest televised event in the world that's not a sporting event, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to have the broadcast rights. So ABC paid those big money, those big money contracts, and apparently they warned the Oscars. I said, look, you're good. you got to cut out some categories. You need to cut out 12. And if you don't, we may not broadcast this thing. We may pull a clause in the contract that says we can get our money back and we're not going to broadcast this thing because here's the thing. Year after year, while it is still the biggest thing broadcast is not sports, year after year, the viewership on the Oscars has declined. Year after year, the viewership on the Oscars has declined. For a plethora of reasons, I'm sure. There's no one reason why that's the case. There's probably many reasons. But you can't just go, well, we're still the biggest show. Okay, yeah, you are. But if you just keep that attitude, you ain't going to be for long. And the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. And one of the biggest complaints that gets voiced by audiences every freaking year about the Oscars is it drags on too long. It's just too long of a show. There's just too much dead air. There's too much dead space. There's just, it's just too long. And within that, there are categories, a lot of categories that the audience is just simply less interested in. And so the Academy apparently found a compromise with ABC and said, okay, we're not going to cut 12 categories, but what if we took some categories and what if we presented them before the live broadcast and then we created a tightened up package where we're able to show all of them still, give them their due, give them their honor during the live broadcast. And apparently ABC must have agreed to that. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and not make changes. Look, Ray, I remember... After the pandemic, after movies started to come out again after the pandemic, because, you know, our, our show took a major hit. Well, like when the pandemic happened and there were no movies coming out and all that kind of stuff, I'm amazed we survived. It's hard to be a movie talk show when there's no movies. It, it was difficult. And I'm thanks to all of our incredible audiences and our community who stuck with us, even when like no new movie had come out in six months, they were still coming to watch the John Gamba show. It's crazy. But you know, when the when movies started to come out again, then the John Campus show started to recover. But we had switched from doing live in-person shows to doing shows over Skype because the pandemic, right? That, that's what we had to do. And so when the movies started to come back out again, the John Campus show started, the numbers started to come up, but then they plateaued. We went about four or five months with minor growth, but pretty stagnant. Movies were coming out again, but we had gone three, four, five months where our growth just pretty much stagnated. And as the pandemic was lifting, I just really felt we got to change. 
We have to change. We got to move away from the over Skype thing and we've got to go back to being in person. Even though at the time, Rob was in a situation that he couldn't make the commute at the time, but we needed to make a change because our, our growth stagnated. And if we didn't change anything, we weren't going to grow. So even though it meant we had to move forward without Rob at the time uh, because of his circumstances, I made the decision that we've got to go back to being in person. And we did. And as soon as we did, boom, our numbers started to grow again because the energy on the show was different. And listen, when I made that change, I had so many people in our community telling me it's a bad idea. It doesn't have to be in person, John. It totally works fine over Skype, John. This is a bad decision. It's not going to work. I had a lot of people, even people in our own community telling me that. But I knew that the energy of the show would be changed and fundamentally different if we were all in the room together. And even though we didn't have Rob at first, our growth instantly started to spike and we started to see subscriber numbers grow. We started to see view numbers grow, even though I made a decision that wasn't popular. Now, thankfully, Rob's circumstances changed. He was able to come back on and we saw our growth increase even more now that we had Rob back in the house. But we were back and in person and doing our thing. There's always a resistance to change, especially with entertainment fans like myself. I'm like we, entertainment fans, we, including myself, are like the most resistant to change. But if you don't change, you stagnate and you die. And listen, whether these changes with the Academy that are kind of being prompted by ABC, it looks like, whether these changes work or don't work, we're just going to have to wait and find out. But I will continue to be in the minority, proudly in the minority on this, and say it's about damn time that they try to do something like this. So that's how I'm kind of feeling about it. I'm, I'm kind of torn with this. Like, I, I believe the Oscars have been on so long and they've been yeah. themselves for so long. Just because the times changed. It's one of those things where I'm kind of on one side saying they shouldn't change. This is the way they are. This is the way. Stay, stay true to what you've been doing. But on the other hand, like, I get the how, how would they stay on a actual network if they don't get numbers yeah but you you don't want to change it so much where it becomes another award show like the you know the mtv you absolutely know. Yeah. you know there, there's a thin line that they're starting to walk for me for me personally the oscars i i know you're you you know i'm not trying to say anything to hurt you but <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not big on the oscars the the things that I tune in to watch is always the monologue, no matter who the host is. Right. I just right, like right. that part. I, but the host is very important to me. You, yeah. you, you put a name up there that I really like. Boom. The problem with that is they're not other than the monologue. That's really all they do. And then they'll do little pop-ups throughout the show. Like I kind of wish the host was more involved through the whole thing. I agree. Like maybe even have the host with the presenter. You know, especially if it's a funny host. I want to see that their jokes all the time just to keep me entertained. And then I tune in when they start doing the supporting actor and actress. I right. skipped everything else like that. And it's just the way and I am. And you're not alone. See, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of people like you in that, that a lot of the, and ABC is paying a lot of money to broadcast this. I think a lot of people like you, right? Like, okay, yeah, when, when those other awards are being given out, we tune out. And ABC is like, okay, so our audiences are tuning out when certain categories are done. We want you to take out 12 categories. The Oscars came back and I think came up with a pretty good compromise. How about we take eight of them 
instead of cutting them out we present them before and then edit them into the package lady it's gonna be interesting to see if it works or not but but you know what's scary now is what i do which i hope i hope that doesn't kill the industry is even with you know wrestling raw i if i don't if i'm not into it i'll go on youtube someone had put a summary of what everything that happened on the show yeah like five minutes ten minutes if the oscars don't interest me i'll go on youtube see if someone did a snip a cut of all the winners i hope it doesn't get to that but you know that's you know it should be a lot shorter but at the same time i still want it to stay the way it is just because it still brings the prestige to the awards to be that way i don't know i'm i'm torn yeah and i I, listen and and by the way i'm speaking extremely positively about it the reality is i don't know if it's going to work either like i i'm i'm divided in my own head about whether or not it will work so there's a very good chance that if they do this with the oscar presentation i've said this before and it doesn't work like it comes across as really kind of slapped together and it, it comes across as if they're demeaning those categories then i'm going to say yeah don't do it again but i also think there's a chance that it will work very well and most people won't even notice the difference do you remember when they tried to change the tonight show the time on that remember when they oh, moved yeah. it up and it yeah. didn't work and they yeah. went back sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't yeah sometimes you 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 have to listen to the audience and sometimes listening to them is the worst mistake you've ever made yeah i don't know we'll see we'll see yeah going to the tonight show though the other interesting thing about that was i still remember this like when Conan, i think conan became host of the tonight show and the ratings tanked the ratings didn't work and so then they made it, uh, the announcement they were going back to Jay Leno. No, they gave Jay Leno the th- the little 15-minute, 20-minute show before yeah, yeah. Conan's, remember? Right, but didn't he take back, then he took yeah, back over. Yeah, he took it right? back after that. And the reality was, and nobody likes to talk about this because we're all Team Coco. I love Conan and Brian. Oh, I love Conan and Brian. Totally but guess what bad. happened to the ratings when yeah. Jay Leno came back? They went up. It wasn't the popular decision, but they went up. And... I, I think, look, whether or not this move by the Oscars works or not, I think it's naive not to think that this is worth trying. It's worth trying. And if it doesn't work, then, then, then come up with something else. But we'll see. I just think it's really interesting, the fact that it looked like ABC. And, you know, we really shouldn't be surprised that ABC was the one putting on the pressure because it's their network. They're the ones who are paying the big bucks to broadcast this thing. And if they're seeing a problem, that's got to be addressed. Well, why not do the whole thing? like put the whole show on their streaming service for those who want to watch the whole Where they don't have to cut out like maybe they'll just show them the important parts maybe in an hour but then for any any hardcore people hey hulu here's the three-hour show i think that's exactly what they should do i think they look obviously they're going to record that hour before the oscars go live obviously that's going to be filmed so when you then put it up on the streaming service and you make it available, why not make it on streaming then? Here's the whole thing from start to finish when they awarded those things. That way for the Puritans out there who's like, you've got to do, well, okay, it'll be there and you can go watch it. I don't know if they're planning on doing that, Ray, but that's exactly what they should do. And so it'll end up being a five-hour show with all the ads if yeah, you do yeah, the free tier. if you want to watch that, <laughs> feel free and go and watch it. Anyway, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? According to this report in The Hollywood Reporter, ABC had a big part to do with this in pressuring the Oscars to reduce the number of categories. Apparently, they wanted to just cut 12 categories. Instead, the Oscars seemed to be able to find a compromise where they included still eight, but only they're doing it a different way. I don't know. How are you guys feeling about this right now? Whatever your guys' thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below 
and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with all that down, let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? But before we do, let's hear from one of the sponsors of today's shows, the good folks over at Badlands. All right, guys, with that down, let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? We're going to get things started off here with Raymond Reddington, who writes, uh, which do you guys think has the better sound, Dolby Atmos or IMAX? Dolby Atmos, no question. Uh, listen, there's there's a good debate to be had about what's the best overall experience, a Dolby Prime Theater or an IMAX theater, and that's a good discussion to have. But as far as we're just going to narrow it down to just the audio, to me, it's no question it's Dolby Atmos. All right, Andy writes, Matt Reeves should totally take inspiration from John's idea yesterday and play a Nickelback song in the Batman sequel. I'd actually go nuts for this. I mean, look, that's the only thing that the Batman is missing. That's it. It needs some Nickelback. I think everybody walked out of that theater watching the Batman singing. If only it had some Nickelback, that would that would totally make that or some bare naked ladies. Batman needed some bare naked ladies. Oh, it did. It totally did. All right, uh, Mike Root writes: the Batman uh, putting Detective Comics back in DC. Absolutely, they promised we were going to be getting the Detective Batman, and they absolutely deliver on that. Casey Mack writes: I know it's only sixteen reviews right now, but the Boys Diabolical is one hundred percent fresh right now. Does that make you interested in checking it out? No, I need more than sixteen reviews. Again, listen. I love the boys. I'm a huge fan of the boys. And I was looking forward to this animated series, but that trailer they put out was such driveling garbage that it totally made me lose interest in the show. Now, if I start hearing from a lot of you guys, if a lot of you guys start telling me that you like it a lot, then I will go and check it out. But that trailer to me was so vomitously bad that it took my huge excitement for the show and totally killed it. So I don't know. I'm going to wait to hear from what you guys say about it. I, I, or maybe once they get like 100 reviews on it, then maybe I'll see where I'm at. All right, next up. Uh, we got Andy who writes, the way that John talks about uh, talks about and to his Henry Cavill Superman cardboard cutout sometimes makes me wonder if he's married to it. Ah, uh, no, it's, a, it's just, it's a total bromance. That's what it is. It's been a long bromance, it's though. A, but it's a bromance. It's a, it's a total bromance. And I know Henry feel. I'm look. You, what not a lot of you guys know, and Ray, I don't know if I told you, Henry Cavill's got a John Campia standout cardboard in the back of his gaming room. Oh, damn! Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like this. Uh, it's like this back and forth thing that me and Henry it, have. Is that actual scale too? Yeah, I believe that's actual scale. Wow. Well, it might be. A, it might not be exactly one to one. It might be a little bit short because I've you know I've met Henry a couple of times. Mm. Henry's a big dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm nearly six feet tall. Like Henry's like. And, and Henry's like is as a good number of height over me. So and the guy's a super nerd. So he super gets super nerd. So inspiration to everyone who That's wants right. to, you know. And for get his better. inspiration, he looks behind him to his John Campia cardboard standout, and it inspires him to all of his greatness. All right. Yeah, obviously I'm lying about that, of course. All right, next up, uh Kevin Fraser writes. You and the team encouraged me to see the Batman last night at IPIC. I love IPIC theaters, by the way. They're great. Uh, in New York City, it uh, felt it from the beginning to end. And I never knew Ava, Ava Murray could be, mean so much. Well, I'm, not, I'm obviously not going to talk about that, but I'm glad you had a chance to check it out. And I'm jealous that you saw it in IPIC. I've only been to an IPIC once, and I really enjoyed the experience. So I'm glad you liked the movie, Kevin. All right, Tim Platt writes, Hey, John, which one was worse? All the Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the Robin arguments or never-ending bro jokes. Oh, it was the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff. I remember, like, that was so... It, it, I remember it irritating me so much. 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt was Robin. It's like, no, no, he wasn't. But they say, right in the movie, they say, oh, your real name is Robin. Yeah, like even when Christopher Nolan came out and put out an official statement saying, yeah, that was just a wink to the audience. That was just our tipping the cap to the audience by throwing in the name Robin. He wasn't Robin. And yeah, oh, he is Robin. That that to me was the most irritating thing. The bro jokes, sometimes they're pretty funny. But yeah, the, the Robin part was to me the more frustrating thing. All right, uh, next up, Casey Mack writes, really thought your, uh, really thought your idea of making the Arkham series an anthology, you could maybe have it take, uh, have it, hmm, have it have a Tales from the Crypt vibe, but instead of Crypt Keeper, you can have somebody like Hugo Strange. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like every episode could be something like, let me tell you the tale of the one they call Calendar Man, or, or something like that, and then you do this. Now, granted, I don't know if that series could be successful. I don't know if a lot of people in the general audience would care about an Arkham Asylum series based on probably a lot of obscure characters that the general audience doesn't know. I don't know, but all I know, Casey Mack, is that I would be interested in that. But, I mean, they probably got another idea, and I'm sure whatever idea they come up with is going to be great. But I got to admit, I'm pretty intrigued by the idea. Thanks for writing that in, Casey. I appreciate it, man. All right, next up, Comic Nizer writes, Batman was awesome. I can't wait for the spoiler talk. Dude, I cannot wait either. There's so many things and parts about the movie I want to talk about. Obviously, we can't quite yet, but Sunday afternoon, we will do our open spoiler talk. I'm looking forward to doing a Comic Nizer. Thanks for, thanks for plugging it, by the way. I appreciate that. Uh, Comic Nizer also writes, fun, uh, fun fact, my favorite part about the movie was when... Um, oh, a second. My favorite part from the movie is when lovely old lady told me I was going to hell for being married to a black woman. Isn't Alabama lovely? <laughs> Ah, yeah. Oh, wow. The basement dwelling cousin humpers out in force. Oh. Uh, I still remember I was doing an AMC movie talk. I don't think we were at Collider yet. I think it was me. I think Mark Ellis was on with me. And somebody straight out came on and called me a race traitor for uh, for not marrying a white girl. I'll like I'll never forget that, oh and, and I remember it's being like, I mean, yeah, there are these cousin humping basement dweller, you know, mouth breathing losers out there that still have a certain frame, a context frame of mind, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry you had that experience, dude. Yeah, let's not even give it any more time. Nah, sorry you had that experience, dude. All right, next up, uh, Danito writes. Funny if Peacemaker is a prisoner in Arkham show. Oh, that would be funny. <laughs> Instead of Bell Reeve, if it's a Peacemaker ends up in there at some point. Fanimator writes, yesterday was my birthday. Hey, happy belated birthday to you, Fanimator. I watched an early screening of the movie Father Stew. Mark Wahlberg was there in person. Oh, that's cool to talk about the movie. Um... And I booked a private theater for 20 of my friends to watch the Batman. It's going to be so awesome. That's a movie I'm interested in. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in Father, in Father Stu. I don't know. I, I also don't know how good it looks. Like, I'm a sucker for these based on true story, like inspirational true stories about real people. But I, the trailer didn't quite do it for me, Ray. It, it didn't quite do it for me but i'm still kind of interested in it what you, trailer are we talking about sorry father Stu, the one with mark oh. Wahlberg. 
It looks like a beautiful story, to be honest, but it it's just it not does. for me. It's just yeah, not yeah. for me. Yeah. There's so, some things that it's just not for me. Uh, it's one of those ones I know it's profound. What the impact you'll probably feel after you'll feel good. You'll you'll have new as movies and as entertainment, as my form of entertainment, it's just not for me. Yeah. So, I mean, at least that's the way it looks. So I'm going to give it a shot. I'm definitely going to give it a shot and, and we'll see how it turns out. All right. Next up, we got Ryan Lohner who writes, I was really excited for the Batman, but now it turns out Warner Brothers doesn't think it's good enough to put on HBO Max. P.S. That was a joke. Yes, I got it. I got it there. I, I got it. Yeah. Oh, if they really liked it, they would bypass the theaters and put it right to HBO Max. Well said, Ryan. All right. Raymond Verada writes, my first time in the Dolby theater and my reclining chair rocked every step Batman took. My Filipino auntie would have yelled out every time in Tagalog. <laughs> I mean, that is one of the cool. I really like that because they've got these like subwoofers or whatever built into the seats. And when something like really like it's not obnoxious, it's like it's not super obvious but it's subtle but when some big pounding thing happens in the movie you'll feel like the entire chair kind of vibrated but i love it and it's not only that there's a point in the movie where like it was there wasn't even any sounds that were playing but there was like this little tick tick and i looked back because i thought it was someone making that noise mm. in the theater but it was actually just like those new like, i think it was like rain dropping like in a quiet scene there's like right. a tick and I turned around, I was like, who's making that sound? And I was like, oh, that that's from the movie. So th the sound system is phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that theater is just so good on so many levels. All right, Taki75 writes, Theory, uh, Carol will be in a relationship with Valkyrie in the Marvels. Monica resents Carol uh, because she dumped her mother and wasn't there when she died. Um, I mean, look, we've been speculating ever since WandaVision about, because clearly... She has an issue with Captain Marvel when Captain Marvel was brought up, right? And I think we all kind of assume, well, obviously, it probably has to be an abandonment thing. I mean, that's what I'm guessing. It's kind of the same thing that they used in Arcane, right? When Jinx had the abandonment issues with her sister, I think it's going to be an abandonment issue or perceived abandonment there. So I think now, who's going to be in a relationship with who? I don't know. Um... We never, there has been no interaction that we've seen on screen yet between Valkyrie and Captain Marvel. So just that, if you just jumped into them being in a relationship, well, how, why? Um, so I'm not sure about that, but the, the abandonment issue stuff, I think is definitely going to be one of the things that's at play here. All right, next up, Ron H. writes, uh, watch the Batman. Awesome. I recognize Paul Dano, who I never really knew from the girl next door. Uh, that Batmobile intro. Damn. How do you feel about Victor Zaz as a villain in the sequel? Victor Zaz. I know Victor Zaz in almost every iteration to me is a great side villain. He's the great henchman. I don't think I see Zaz as the guy. By the way, uh, we talked about Gotham. And there are things about Gotham that worked, and there are things about Gotham that didn't work. And I know, I know a lot of people didn't like the Victor Zaz in Gotham. I personally really did. <laughs> I got a big kick out of the, the Victor Zaz they used in Gotham. That's one of the things that really worked for me. But I don't see him as, like, the villain of the next thing. you got to escalate, and I don't think that's where that's the direction it would go, Ron H. But it would be interesting to have him in the movie, though. All right, uh, let's see. Next up, Casey Mack writes, I might see the Batman twice more, but I really want to experience that car chase in a 4K theater. Listen, that car scene, we talked about it in our non-spoiler review. You obviously know the Batmobile's in the movie because you see it in the trailer. But man, when that Batmobile is introduced, 
the the scene the shot selection the the audio the sound design that rumble ray that it's like the car itself was a supernatural monster from a I, horror movie i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about I it i know right the, the setup of that scene was done perfectly if you're gonna have a stage and a spotlight all of a sudden come down and you know the you know the host comes out yeah it's it's exactly that feeling where I it's agree. like out of nowhere and you can feel it's coming and then all of a sudden it's there yeah and it's awesome loved it cannot wait to watch that again today all right next up john redcorn writes morbius early tracking 40 to 60 million dollar opening i'll be honest with you that's higher than i expected that's higher than I expected. I mean, not by a lot, but if it can do that, they really got to kick in the marketing into, into overdrive. Now they got to start doing it. It's time to, do, they, I think they wanted to wait until the Batman opened. Cause obviously the Batman is going to suck up all the attention. I think once we get a few days after the Batman opening, once we get into next week, I think you're going to see Morbius uh, marketing go into high gear, but that's right around where I was expecting it. A different kind of bat, <laughs> a very different kind of bat. Like you saw one bat in theaters, now come back for the real kind of bat. Yeah, that's what they should do. Ryan P writes, John, I saw the Batman again last night and something funny happened. A woman and her child left the theater about 45 minutes and didn't return. Hey, I'm, I'm not surprised. Like, look, the rating on this film is PG-13. <laughs> this movie could have been rated R. You could have rated this R. Because I, I, I don't think that's you're the only time that that happened to, Ryan. I, I think that probably happened a lot. We yesterday. had a baby at ours. <laughs> yeah, the baby was the baby was the star of the show. The baby started crying at the same time where I was like, is this movie over yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, I'm not going to be surprised at all that they're, they're going to be family. Oh, it's a comic book movie. Batman. Okay, it's PG-13. Cool. And I think there are going to be a lot of parents that take their kids to it and then probably pretty quickly start to figure out... This might not be one for Junior to watch. And and so and I'm not surprised because I I don't honestly if I had kids right now that were like 10 or 11, I don't th I don't personally think I'm taking them to see the Batman. I'm telling you for a fact, I would have had nightmares if I watched this at 8 years old. You probably still did. Oh, oh no, no. Of the, <laughs> of the Riddler, just the way they 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 go about him in this movie, I would have had nightmares. So I totally agree with the rating all that rating stuff that we were talking about in the past yeah. weeks. All right. Next up, uh, we've got, who was that? That was Ryan P. Now we got Jacob Brown who writes, Hey, John and crew, uh, found you through Firefly After Show. Wow, that is going back a ways. Uh, it's my birthday this weekend. Happy birthday to you, Jacob. Uh, so I am seeing the Batman at 3 p.m. today. Love watching your show and appreciate all that you do. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. It's great to have you here. And again, Happy birthday to you. I hope you have a fabulous day and a fabulous year ahead of yourself, sir. We're glad you're here and have a great time watching Batman, dude. All right. Tick writes, I saw the Batman. I loved it. I just wanted to show my appreciation for the show. Can't wait for the spoiler discussion. Thanks for entertaining me every day. Well, thank you for being here, Tick, and allowing us the, the privilege of joining you every day. Glad you love the movie. And yeah, listen, there's there's so much for us to talk about on the spoiler discussion. Like, I just can't wait to get to it. Thanks for writing in, man. I hope you get a chance to see it again. All right. Drake Mendez writes, excited to see Batman on Sunday at the AMC Burbank 16 with my girlfriend. We're both really excited. The AMC Burbank 16, of course, is my home theater for like seven years. Ann and I lived for like seven years until we moved into this house last year. We lived in Burbank for like seven years literally a 10, 13 minute walk from the AMC Burbank 16. 
And we'd walk there. Ray, you made that walk with us many yep. times. And we'd go watch. I lost count of how many movies we saw there. I love that theater. I hope you have a good time. Pardon me. I hope you have a good time in it, Drake. All right. Rhett Proctor writes, I'm going to see the Batman Monday, and I am super, super excited about seeing the movie. After I heard all the reviews, uh, I'm all in on Robert Pattinson as Batman. He's a phenomenal actor. He abs- And that's the thing. You know, going into it, we didn't know if he was going to be great in the movie or not, but I felt comfortable with the fact that he is a great actor. And if you've seen the movies he's done the last 10 years, you would know that. He has evolved into a top-shelf, top-notch, dare I say, Oscar-caliber kind of actor. And for me, that's all I care about when you're casting people is do you get somebody's talent? And then very happy to see the Batman and saw that he works so well. So I cannot wait for you to see it, man. I'm excited for you to watch it as well, Rhett. Please come back and join us for the spoiler discussion as well. All right. Kevin Joyce writes, going to have to watch the Batman again. Not a Nolan film that has, let me see, let me try this again. Going to have to watch the Batman again. Not a Nolan film that has quite the same immediate operatic visceral impact, but I'm still chewing on it. I get that. There's a lot to unpack in Batman, in the Batman, I should say. Like everything from the themes to the individual scenes of the the characters themselves, there is a lot there to unpack. And again, it's a very different Batman movie from any Batman movie we've ever seen. Very, very different. So if you went in with a certain expectation, I could totally see coming out and going, wait a minute, I need to recalibrate. I need to recalibrate and maybe see that thing again. I I totally get where you're coming from on that, dude. All right. Uh, Diego uh, Higueros writes, The Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, and now the Batman. DC is on fire. I thought the Batman was a masterpiece. Keep up your amazing job, John. Well, thank you so much. And listen, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Diego. We haven't really talked about that. DC's on a great roll. Warner Brothers and their DC properties are on an incredible roll right now. Now, granted, Suicide Squad crashed and burned at the box office, but the movie was fantastic. Peacemaker became the global number one show. And it was even better than Peace than Suicide Squad, in my opinion. I love Suicide Squad. I thought Peacemaker was even better. And now they come out with the Batman. And this is a home run win for them. I can't remember the last time they had three things in a row that were big wins. But that's called a winning streak. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that goes. I'm dying to see The Flash, man. I cannot wait to see what they do with that. All right, thanks for sending that in, Diego. Next up, Mark Netto writes, The Batman was good. Got dread vibes from it. You know what? We're sitting here comparing it to Seven and Along Came a Spider and stuff like that. That's actually really good. I think there's absolutely overtones of dread in it. Not the Sylvester Stallone dread, the Carl Urban dread. Which, Ray, I don't know. Did you ever watch that Carl Urban? Yeah, yeah, I did. I I, love that I quite enjoyed it. That's the one where you don't see his face at all, right? Throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was really good. I remember I actually had... Carl Urban was my guest on my Masters of the Web panel at Comic-Con. So he was my guest, and I thought the movie looked terrible. But studio asked if he could be the guest on Comic-Con, and I love Carl Urban. So it's like, yeah, let, let's have him on. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry. So he came, um, was my guest on the panel. We, we talked about that. And then they asked me if I would be the moderator, the, the MC, for the very first screening of dread the next day in San Diego. And I said, sure, I'd love to do it. But I still hadn't seen the movie. So 
we got to the theater. I came out, welcomed everybody to the theater, but I still had not seen the movie. And I'm like, let's watch Dread. Sat down in my seat, loved the movie. And then I got to do the, the, uh, the Q&A afterwards with Carl Urban and his co-stars and the director of the film. And, and that was a lot of fun. But I went into all of that having no idea if the movie was any good or not. And I was so happy. And he's right. There are definitely tones of dread in this movie. It was a very different dread from the first one, right? So different. But but that brings me to another point. With all these Batman movies, let's just appreciate that we get different ones and not the same sort of thing over and over again. You know what I mean? Like whether you're into it or not. I mean, I love different versions of everything. So. All right. Next up, uh, we've got... uh, Renji Mia Miyayuchi writes, love you guys. Oh, thank you so much, Renge. I appreciate that. It's always nice when somebody wants to write in just to say something nice like that. Appreciate it. Film Code writes, R.I.P. Twilight Boy. Twilight Boy. I miss you. He ain't Twilight Boy to anybody anymore. That's done. That's gone. Uh, Mr. Graham 91 writes, uh, riddle me this, riddle me that. The less of them you have... The more one is worth. Uh, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, uh, Jaren Koch writes, uh, luckily, it's not this early here in the Netherlands. I love the Batman Wednesday. Have fun on game day. Game I day? will be seeing it tomorrow for the second time. Yeah, I mean, again, we are we had some people in international markets. Some of our international friends got to see it on like March 1st and stuff like that. So good. I'm glad you're going to have a chance to go back and watch it again, man. All right. Tim Platt writes. How often is the music in the trailer taken from the score of the movie? Almost entirely. I keep watching the Doctor Strange 2 trailer for the music alone. Oh, we're not talking about the Batman. We're talking about it in general. I have seen lots of trailers that have music that is not in the movie. Mm-hmm. All the time. As a matter of fact, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. They have a piece of music, in a brilliant piece of music in that trailer that was perfect for the trailer. But it's not a piece of music in the movie. It's from Requiem for a Dream. It's like this big score from the movie Requiem for a Dream, but they just took that music and put it in the trailer for Lord of the Rings. Often. Yeah. In the Batman, they, I think all the music you hear in the Batman trailers, that's music right from the movie. Yep. Uh, but it is quite often that you get a lot of trailers that have music that's not in the movie. I mean, that's, that's a totally a sure thing. All right. Next up. Uh, uh, Bushin Ryu Cat writes, last night at AMC on IMAX, number one, full IMAX screen wasn't even used. Number two, the writing was great, best plots, but Kravitz's uh, Catwoman tanks and third act sucked. Um, I disagree. I, I Kravitz's Catwoman was awesome. What? Yeah, I, I thought she was great. I, she's my she's my she's your mvp she's my catwoman now that's yeah. my catwoman there's no other no other catwoman i don't know maybe i i he would have to get into detail of what but now i had issues i had some issues with the third act like if i'm going to point to any weaknesses it's the second half of the third act that to me is where there are some weaknesses to the film but i still didn't think it was bad i agree i agree the action was good throughout oh, the, the whole thing was great in it. even yeah, yeah. if i didn't like the third act or not. The action was great throughout it all. Uh, I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, th- but hey, man, that's your, that's your experience with it. That's how it hit you. And that's totally valid, man. Your experience and your opinion of the movie is no less valid than mine, dude. All right. I'm glad you shared it with us. All right. Uh, next up, A. Marcellus writes, for a movie that is supposedly more grounded than even Nolan, I found it more believable for this bat. 
I found it more believable for this bat universe to introduce the more fantastical elements like man bat, Ivy freeze, Lazarus pit. I don't know. I, I mean, for me personally, and I can't speak for anybody else, but after watching this movie, I would feel bringing in like a poison Ivy would be even less believable. Like it would Mm -hmm. kind of break like this is, this is the Batman movie that makes it feel like being the Batman is a legitimate career option for people. Like it, it felt so real that I don't know, but I don't know, Ray, after watching the movie, do you think we could get more, more of the meta human supernatural elements? Do you think that would fit in here? Would definitely feel out of place. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, uh, it's just they have to be very careful with who they choose. It has to be a yeah, very grounded, like more grounded than uh, someone like that can control vines and stuff. I don't yeah, know. yeah, I yeah, I agree. That seems a little out of place to me. All right, next up, uh, we got Mister Cool Breeze sixty nine writes. Oh, how far we've come from A W R P as I uh, I can't do it. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's like. RP as far as BN, some days just oh, I thought he meant okay, never mind. I I I'm not quite sure, yeah. but hey, guys, please don't write in an acronym. So, it, anyway, yes. Um, never lose your nerd rights. I want Batman Beyond and seeing it tomorrow night. Well, that's I good want Batman you, Beyond. That's great for all of you guys. Seeing you want Batman Beyond, it would t- it would totally tank, totally tank at the box office. Nobody cares. I am recording every time. I've started keeping a journal of what you said the date the time what show because yep. when it comes out and it makes billions and billions and billions of dollars and you love it just as much as us i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up that journal and be like hey john can you eat this piece of paper hey, listen, i'm sure it could be good <laughs> i'm yeah, sure yeah, it could yeah. be good I'm- but everybody like this is the funny things people in this fandom they act like it was the most popular thing in the world the show was canceled after three seasons. But but I think... Everybody our, talks about like it's the most... Everybody... You, nobody cares. You know what the thing with Batman Beyond is? It's like putting that Iron Man element with Batman. And we all... Mm. The fans of Batman Beyond want to see... It's more about the tech and the gadgets. Right, which I'm than sick anything of that. Else. Batman should be Batman. Batman shouldn't be Iron Man uh, Jr. Okay, okay. Batman shouldn't be yeah, Iron Man Jr. Your your opinion, yeah. But uh, uh, we want it. Us Batman Beyond, Beyond yeah, fans yeah. want it. And you know what? And I said before, and I'll say it again. After Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I think the possibilities, and I'm on record saying this, and I will stay on record saying this. After Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I think the chances of a Batman Beyond went up like five times. Seriously, I I honestly think that. I think that probably opened up a lot more. I I still don't know that it's, I still don't think it's probable that that would happen, but I think the chances of it happening went up exponentially. So who knows? We may see it at some point. All right. Uh, next up, where are we at here? Um, Mac Woody writes, Hey, John and Gru, probably Matt Crew, are you all watching Raised by Wolves? I love season one. I am no longer watching it. I watched season one and I was, I was liking it. I was, I, I never loved it, but I was liking it. I was getting through. And then I got to the season finale and it was so, like, bad shit crazy is often a good thing, but it can be really bad too. And I thought the fin- the finale of the season one just lost me entirely. Like it, it just did some things that made no sense to what they were doing previously and introduced a concept. So I'm like, okay, if that's the direction the show's going, I have no interest. And I, I just gave up. I tapped out. 
I tapped out. So I don't know if season two started airing yet. If it has, I haven't watched it. And I don't have any plans on watching because again, like I said, the, the ending of season one lost me. But hey, man, if you're enjoying it, that is awesome. I want everybody to enjoy everything that's on, even if it's something I don't like. But yeah, unfortunately, this the season one finale of Raised by Wolves kind of lost me, unfortunately. All right. Next up, Assistant Professor X writes, uh, Marvel Boardroom, New York City, 2006. Avi Arad returns and sees the breakup poster. He scans the billing block, recalls one of the actors who's also in his 2003 movie, Daredevil, John Favreau. Avi makes a call. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the continuation. Was We were talking about that the other day. It's like, I remember we were talking about the breakup and everything. So I could, didn't even remember. I think that's interesting. All right. <laughs> Mr. Kubri 69 uh, sends in a $5 super chat just to be supportive. And Ahmed Cephas sends in a $20 super chat just to be supportive. Thank you so much for that, guys. And that'll do it for today's early and short installment of the John Campia Show. Like we mentioned at the beginning, we were early here today because... We have to get to a screening of the Batman that we got to go get to and meet some people. Ray? Let's give our last prediction for what Batman's going to make. I still, I'm still sticking with 135. You know what? You're probably closer than me because my prediction was 150, and I think you're going to be closer than me. So you know what? Even though I know you're going to be way closer than me, I said 150 before, so I will stay on it. I, I, I know I'm going to be wrong. Uh, it's okay, uh, But I think you're going to end up being closer on this than me. But whatever. The movie's amazing. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining us here today. Big special thanks to all you guys who sent in the Super Chats. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campbell Show, thank you so very much for your support. We've now got to get ready to go meet Rob and Chris over at uh, the movie theater so we can watch Batman together again. Thanks a lot for being here for this early version, guys, and for getting up so early. On Monday, the John Campion Show returns to its normal starting time of 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, whatever time zone that is for you. And uh, we can't wait to see you then. And of course, don't forget, this Sunday will be our open spoiler discussion for the Batman. If you guys have a chance to see it, make sure you come back and join us for that. All right, guys. For Ray Ora and myself, John Campia, thanks a lot for being here. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.